Just a couple of comments before we uh, look to the scripture. First of all, I don't know how much you like snow. I don't like it a whole lot. Uh, I don't have to shovel it anymore, and some of you do, but the thing with snow is this. It always reminds me of a verse in scripture. Uh, Isaiah 118 says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they should be as wool. So whenever you look at snow, if you don't like it, think of that as a, a positive when snow comes. The other thing is, I got a different tie on today. <clears throat> the two bears that I had with me uh, back in December, they thought it was a little too cold to stay out of hibernation, so they've gone back in. So uh, uh, I thought this was a better choice for today. Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> An interesting book that, uh, a letter that was written by Paul to a church that he probably never met the people, uh, but he wrote some words to them to encourage them and strengthen them and to help them in their Christian faith. So beginning at Colossians chapter 1 verse 3. <clears throat> Paul writes after his salutation, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you is indeed the whole world. It is as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> and then he goes on to talk about the Lord Jesus in uh, one of the greatest passages about the Lord Jesus in Scripture. Let's pray as we look into the word today. Father. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it presents to us, a truth that is worth hearing, worth listening to, worth applying in our lives. And Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you will make that truth real and precious to each one of us today as we consider 
what you have for us and what you want to, us to take with us and apply in our lives this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Psalm 12, Isaiah 12.5 12, says, Praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. And Psalm 150 verse 2 says, Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Now scripture writers celebrate the excellence of God and believers rest and rejoice in his excellence. The God of scripture is excellent in all of his character and perfect in all of his ways. And it has been from eternity past. It was demonstrated in the creation of this world and everything in it, including you and me. And when God came to earth in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, the Lord, he was in person, the incarnation of divine excellence. When God created man and woman, he did so in his own image, and as his children, believers, bear a high and holy responsibility to serve in the world as ambassadors of Christ. And of course, an ambassadors, as an ambassadors, we don't carry our own message, our own program. We represent him and take his message. What we are reflects him. Now, unbelievers most often form their opinions of God from what they see in us. We may not like this or may not wish it was so, but it is. Therefore, as Christians, we must live lives worthy of our Lord. And this involves a commitment to excellence, since our God is excellent. He is, in fact, the standard for excellence. <clear> and in First uh, Peter, we're told that we're to let our light so shine that we might show forth his excellencies. Now, that brings us to a question or two. First of all, what is excellence? Particularly in terms of who we are as Christians, believers. And what difference will excellence make in our lives? Now, in considering biblical or godly excellence, one central concept must be kept in focus. Excellence is not just a great achievement or a marvelous performance. This concept differs from the world's definition and understanding of excellence. Various perspectives on excellence uh, differ, <clears throat> but they all commonly try to define excellence in human terms. And also, each concept is in the realm of comparison, of competitiveness, if you like. Excellence involves superiority over others. To excel is to do better than somebody else. <clears throat> and that's not wrong, necessarily, if it's done in the right context, in the right sense. And those who achieve technical excellence measure themselves by others. And the inevitable result isn't always just excellence, but it's pride. 
C.S. Lewis said that pride is essentially competitive by its very nature. Now, the biblical concept sets excellence in an entirely different context. Let me just share briefly seven different features that separate the biblical concept from the human-centered ones. First of all, there's a different standard of excellence. That's God. The character of God himself is a point of comparison. And the result is not pride, but humility. There's a different model of excellence, and that's Christ. He is excellence personified for the believer. And to live with excellence is to live as he lived. There's a different goal, and that's Christ-likeness. And that goal must shape our conduct, our walk, our lifestyle. There's a different focus of excellence, character. God's word emphasizes the achievements of excellence, but excellence of achievement only has lasting meaning if it emanates or is an extension of a person's character. And think of examples in the Bible of Joseph and Daniel. Excellence of talent, though, is not demeaned, but it's not the central concern of God. It must emanate from godly character. And what a person is gives meaning to all that he or she does. There's also a different basis for excellent, and that's the revealed truth of God from his word. It reveals an absolute value system. And there's a different motive, God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us that we're to do everything for God's glory. And we read that in, in 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning as well. And finally, there's a different enablement, and that's grace. <clears throat> grace is the great incentive for Christian excellence as well as the enablement. And the indwelling of the Spirit, who is a gift of grace, really means the believer is able to do what he otherwise couldn't to the glory of God. Now, excellence then, if we listen to all of these things, excellence really becomes for us a way of life. It touches all we are and do. And like God who is excellent in all he is or does, so must we be. In the world, excellence is all too thought of in the narrowest of terms. <clears throat> Today, there are four football teams trying to rise to a level of excellence that will enable them to become the two teams that play for the Super Bowl. And then there'll be the striving for that level of excellence to win the Super Bowl. <clears throat> A business person seeks a quality product that is better than anybody else's, of course, so that more people will buy it and they'll become rich. And of course, Bill Gates was a perfect example of that with his Microsoft software. An author strives to develop skills as he works on his masterpiece so that he can be on the bestseller list. And musically, People strive 
for excellence. Take, for instance, a symphony orchestra, and that's each, each member of that symphony orchestra plays with a high level of excellence. The performance won't be excellence. <clears throat> and that reminds me of a story that I found in my files. A number of years ago, the Seattle Symphony was doing Beethoven's Ninth under the baton of Milton Katines. Now, at this point, you must understand two things. There's a long segment in this symphony where the bass violins don't have a thing to do, not a single note for page after page. Secondly, there used to be a tavern across the road from the Seattle Opera House that was favored by local musicians. Now, it had been decided that during this performance of uh, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, after the bass players had played their parts in the opening of the Ninth, they were to quietly lay down their instruments and leave the stage rather than sit on their stools and look and feel dumb for 20 minutes. <clears throat> Well, once they got backstage, someone suggested that they trot across the street and quaff a few gurus. After they had downed the first couple of rounds, one said, shouldn't we be getting back? <coughs> It'd be awfully embarrassing if we were late. Now another, presumably the one who suggested this excursion in the first place, replied, oh, I anticipated we could use a little more time, so I tied a string around the last pages of the conductor's score. And when he gets down to there, Milton's going to have to slow the tempo way down while he waves the baton with one hand and fumbles with the string with the other. So they had another round and finally returned to the opera house, a little tipsy by now. However, as they came back on stage, one look at their conductor's face told them they were in serious trouble. Katims was furious, and why not? <laughs> After all, it was the bottom of the ninth, the score was tied, and the bases were loaded. <clears throat> now those bases really didn't live up to the level of excellence that their director expected, did they? And that affected the whole, the whole presentation of that symphony. An author, a business person, an athlete, a musician, they strive for excellence. But that striving doesn't often flow into other areas of life. So the result is impressive accomplishments, maybe, but an inconsistent life. True excellence, which reflects the character of our God, touches all of life until it becomes a way of life. Now, for me to preach a sermon on, on excellence must seem presumptuous. Uh, I certainly don't make any pretense of being the standard for excellent preaching. I'm a distant pursuer at best, but the fact is, However gifted or accomplished any of us are, none of us will attain excellence in this life. It's no, not so much a destination as a direction. 
from which none of us is exempt. In any and every sphere of life, God calls us to display his excellence and to lay hold of his purpose. And the laying hold of God's purpose to another leads to another essential truth about excellence. It's not achieved by accident. Gary Inrig, in his book, The Call to Excellence, writes, what we aim at determines what we will become. We may not always make our goals, but our goals will always make us. Therefore, to aim at excellence is to point one's life toward the realization of one's potential, the fulfillment of one's capabilities. Excellence is both socially valuable and personally desirable, but a Christian has a reason to pursue excellence which far transcends such man-centered viewpoints as we've talked about. For when a believer is called to the Lord Jesus Christ, he is called to Christ's excellence, to be the best he or she can be or do for his or her savior. So to be Christ-like, and as Paul says in Romans 8, 29, we're called to be conformed to the likeness of him. Now the God of excellence calls his people to live lives of excellence which reflect his excellent character to the world. And every, every life the Christian's goal must be to become what the Lord Jesus desires. God's purpose is to take our God-given potential and bring it into reality as we live for his glory. And Paul had recognized God's call to biblical excellence for his own life. And he purposed to live his life and go in that direction. Listen to what he wrote back in, in Philippians chapter 3. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul saw that as his goal, but he also saw that as that should be the goal of every believer. Because he goes on to say, in verses 15 to 17 of uh, Philippians 3, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now as today we look at Paul's prayer for the believers in the Colossian church. We need to realize that his prayer 
applies to you and me at our need to pursue Christian excellence for the glory of God. Paul's prayer identifies for us the source, the essence, and the evidence of Christian excellence. The source. In verse 9, he prays, We have not ceased to pray from you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, we're often called to, call, to pray for Christians we've never met. So what do we ask for? Well, if we don't know specific needs, Paul's prayer can be a model for us. He had a report from Epaphras that the Colossian Christians were characterized by faith in Christ Jesus, by love for fellow believers, and by hope based on the promises of the gospel. These are the living fruit of God's life in the believer. And then he goes on to say, for this reason, I'm asking God to fill you. Paul's consistent, specific prayer life itself is a model of excellence for us. But it's important to see that this prayer was not just addressed to a group of super saints. He says, uh, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, to believers likely unknown to Paul, <clears throat> containing the essence of what he longed for in the lives of people, that's what he was praying for. He prefers knew them and had a similar perspective in Colossians 4.12. Paul assures them, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. And he is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Notice the phrase that you may stand firm in all the will of God. Don't miss the significance of this. At the, as the basis, at the basis of God's desires, the believer is that he may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We need to pray this prayer not only for other believers, but for ourselves. And here we confront the source of spiritual excellence. But what are we asking for exactly when we ask to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Well, in simplest form, uh, the will of God is the declaration of God's intentions for us, his creations, and Paul here refers to God's moral will, as God reveals it in his written word. Paul wrote the New Testament as we have it, but he was aware of the Holy Spirit inspiration as he wrote, he said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be mature, perfect, and prepared for every good work. The significance of that insight is overwhelming. God's word contains all the believer needs to know about the will of God so as to live the way God desires. But Paul is asking for more than the knowledge about God's will. He 
He says that we may be filled, not just have accumulated knowledge, but an intimate personal knowledge. Now, after 52 years of marriage, I have much more than intellectual information about Pat's desires, obtained by scientific observation and reading books on the psychology of women. <clears throat> I used to have a little book that was called uh, What Husbands Know About Their Wives. It was written by a fellow called Not Much, and every page of the book was empty. <laughs> But Pat's desires weren't obtained by scientific observation and reading of books on psychology. That may help someone somewhere sometime. <clears throat> but I know and love Pat, and that's how each believer needs to be related to the Lord. We know his will because we know him. And possessing such intimate knowledge of our Father's will, we should be filled with it, controlled by it, so that every part of the way we live governs it and is governed by it. How does this relate to excellence? Well, directly. Excellence requires a standard at which to aim. Now, expertise isn't excellence. We're uh, drowning an expert. You know what an expert is, of course. An expert is a washed-up drip under pressure. But for the Christian, the answer is found in the revealed will of God, his written word. Paul notes that a life filled with the knowledge of God's will will be characterized by spiritual wisdom and understanding. Understanding refers to the ability to decide which principles apply in a given situation while Wisdom lays hold of or grasps those basic principles in which life should be based. And both of those words direct us to the Old Testament idea of true wisdom. In its most uh, important use, wisdom refers to moral skill, the practical ability to live as God intended. Therefore, a wise person is one who conforms his life to God's order, as found in his creation, which was laid by the wisdom of God and in his word. And basic to skill and living is a proper relationship to the Lord, since reverence for him is the beginning, the controlling purpose of wisdom. So the... The excellence of a person is seeing what he or she is. And it's expressed in every role, every relationship, or every responsibility in our life. Life of excellence lived by a wise person is lived well by one who is in close fellowship with God himself. And that life is an expression of that fellowship. So what's the essence of excellence? Well, it's God's purpose. Paul didn't stop with a petition. His prayer has a specific purpose. Paul's words contain both the standard of excellence, walking worthy, and the motivation, pleasing the Lord. And it's important that these are the result of a life filled with the knowledge of God, God's will. 
to walk worthy. That's God's desire for us. We're to walk worthy of the Lord Jesus, and that's a picture word. It conveys the idea of balancing other, the other beam of scales. That is, what is worthy measures up to the standard. For a believer, the standard is never people-centered, but Christ-centered. We don't have to measure up to what others have done, but by what the Lord has done. We are to walk worthy of our heavenly calling, Ephesians 4.1. We're to live worthy of the gospel of Christ, Philippians 1.27. We're to walk worthy of God's, 1 Thessalonians 2.12. And all of this is a response of gratitude to the grace and goodness of God. The New Testament consistently uses a vocabulary that point to the Lord Jesus as the standard for excellence. The Greek word for excellence is used only five times, likely because the Greek idea, idea of excellence was man-centered. It meant perfecting yourself based on human ability and achievement, but biblical Excellence points to God himself as the standard and the source of excellence. The most used word in the Bible for excellence describes the end or purpose of something, and it reminds us that God has made us with a purpose and a goal. To move toward this purpose and goal is wholeness, maturity, and excellence. <clears throat> There's an appropriate level of maturity for every stage of development. As the children grow up, they develop in their maturity. But the maturity of a 10-year-old is not that of an 18-year-old or a 40-year-old. Ultimate excellence awaits the time we are with the Lord. But we can aspire to an appropriate level of excellence here and now, not to fulfill ourselves, and realize our personal potential and aspirations, but to fulfill the Father's purpose and promote his glory, so is to live worthy of him. The motive of excellence is to please him, to please him in every way. And to the Corinthians, Paul wrote, so we make it our goal to please him. The evidence of excellence, that brings us to the excellence of evidence. Paul concludes his prayer with four components that are marks of excellence in the believer's life. Here they are. <clears throat> As we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, we're to be bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious night, might for all endurance and patience with joy, and giving thanks to the Father. Bearing fruit in every good work. Fruit is a natural product of the life of a tree. Likewise, spiritual fruit is the inevitable product of God's life in the believer. And to Jesus... If you read John 15, uh, fruit-bearing is a high priority. Now, <clears throat> as 
specifically here, that fruit is good works. Ephesians 2.10 tells us we were created for good works. And Titus 2.14 says the Lord redeemed us to be zealous for good works. Remember now, good works are not the root of excellence, but the fruit of it. And a believer properly related to God will produce God's good works. So don't be weary in doing good because you're producing God's fruit. Then there's, uh, after productivity and bearing fruit, there's progress. Growing in the knowledge of God. The fullness of knowledge of God's will leads to deepening personal knowledge of God whose will it is. Paul was convinced of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. And of knowing Christ is the earth's greatest value. No life can be excellent that is not growing in a deeper fellowship with the living God. Here's what the prophet Jeremiah wrote. In Jeremiah 9, 22 and 23, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him boast, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight declares the Lord. So the evidence of excellence is first productivity, it's progress growing in the knowledge of God, and his power. We're strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For the reason that you may have great endurance and patience. So power here is not raw might, the ability to do great acts as much as it is an inner enablement, the ability to meet life's demands. And the measure of the power is God's power, his omnipotence, if you like. He's all-powerful. You see, he doesn't start us off and leave us to do the rest. His power is continuous and undiminished through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. You know what Acts 1.8 says, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Note that the purpose of the power is not to remove us from every difficulty or remove every obstacle. Rather, it's to give us the endurance and patience of God's power. And as we go through those difficult times in life, his power is supremely revealed. Finally, <clears throat> there's praise. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. An attitude of thankful praise to God overflows into a positive, optimistic outlook on life. A believer whose heart is dominated by the grace of God will face life with confidence in God's goodness. It would be hard to better describe a person of excellence than as one who is productive, progressive, powerful, 
and positive in spirit. But remember, these evidences of excellence are the product of a commitment to a life worthy of the Lord, to please him in every way. And that type of life requires the Christian to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Obedience to God lies at the heart of all excellence. And the desire to please God is indispensable in the pursuit of excellence. The great violinist Isaac Cern was once asked by a reporter, what truly distinguishes a great musician? Cern's reply was perceptive. <clears throat> a great musician is one who is always seeking to improve, never content with his performance, always moving on to discover more about the instrument and the music he loves. On a far deeper level, the believer comes with the same attitude to the Lord. We are called to do everything we do with excellence because we are called to respond in love, to the love of the Lord Jesus. A hymn was written a number of years ago. <clears throat> It's entitled, Reaching for Excellence. It goes this way. Reach for the glorious prize, the prize of God's well done. Learn to fix your eyes on the longings of the sun. Surrender all you are. Let all be sacrificed. Reaching for excellence by giving all to Christ. Reaching for excellence by giving all to Christ. So follow Jesus Christ who live a life unflawed. Think of who it is you now reverence as Lord. Because he gave us all, a crown is his reward. Reaching for excellence, our world he will restore. Reaching for excellence, our world he will restore. Give to the Lord your best, the best that you can do. As you honor him, he will surely honor you. So learn to run the race until the race is done. Reaching for excellence until the prize is won. Reaching for excellence until the prize is won. How is your race for excellence?